and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Dance and Jesse Rubinoff, your boy Uncle Timmy, wishing you and yours a happy Friday as we near the end of March. Pull up a chair, kids, and enjoy the show. The big game show yesterday uh, didn't work out all that well. Fine. Everything's fine. Canada will have to wait to clinch Qatar 2022. And while last night set up well for the Jets and Canucks, it didn't exactly go swimmingly for either. Not only did Dallas win, not only did Vegas win, both tough matchups, I might add, but the Canucks only got one point in Minnesota when they could have. They played well. Not saying they didn't play well, but they only got one point in Minnesota. And the Jets, man, the Jets lost to the Sens. An unfortunate night for Winnipeg for sure. Almost as unfortunate as this zip liner. You know what's coming up, Jesse. You know what's coming up. Oh, oh no. Great, great track, though. Oh, boy. Yeah, we use that track often. Yeah. That was actually included in the, I believe, TikTok that I found to illustrate what happened to the TikTok, Winnipeg Jets yesterday. I mean, that just must be a gold mine for you when you're looking for these. Yeah, I kind of, uh, I've got a few uh, friends family members and acquaintances who will send me things. I believe this one was from Brian McLaughlin. Is she okay? My good we friend. Verification on, on... Uh, I know what you're thinking, and I know what you're thinking, but she's not fine. <laughs> no, and if we can't laugh at other people's misfortunes, then we're only left with our own misfortunes, and those hurt more. Right. So, boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> Being sarcastic, for those who want to write in, feel free. Just going all that way to say... It was a tough loss for the Jets, and they are right back in the spotlight tonight with Patrick Laine in town with his Columbus blue sport coats. We'll hear from Laine, Sean Reynolds, and Ken Wiebe all ahead of tonight's game in the peg. We'll also have it on the show. Dave McMenamin dropping by. LeBron's trying really hard to win the scoring title, isn't he? Like, that's what he's doing now, right? Yeah, because he knows you have John Morant to win the scoring title. No, because he knows that this is the legacy, right? Like, he's pulling a Russell Westbrook with Russell Westbrook on the team. I hate saying Russell Westbrook. It's kind of hard to say. Why? Because you end up with the R's and the W's in your head, no? Russell Westbrook? Yeah, and I guess that's why a lot of people are changing his last name. Russell Westbrook? Yeah, they're changing his last name to Russell Westbrook, but you can't say that because that's just mean, apparently. To him, yes. To him, uh, it is me. We'll also ask one of the Daves we know, Dave McMenamin, who drops by, and our old friend, former Canadian national team member, Premier League legend Craig Forrest, dropping by to discuss Canada-Costa Rica, which is exactly where Jesse Rubinoff and I start. First things first, what's the deal? Harry Neal. Mm, that's a good one. First things first. Iconic duo. Harry Neal, Bob Cole. Bob Cole, Harry Neal. That's Iconic. My, that's my childhood, Bob Cole, Harry Neal. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. For all the, the you-know-what you give me about being so young. I remember that. No, no. I, you project as being younger than you actually are. Oh, yeah. And that's what I'm Look actually ripping you on. Look at so, the grays. So when you say to me <laughs> that I'm ripping you for being young, I'm not ripping you for being young. I'm ripping you for being younger than you actually are. Yes, it's all an act. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so the celebration is on hold for a couple of days at least after the Canadian men's soccer team failed to qualify for the World Cup last night, losing 1-0 in Costa Rica. Uh, were you disappointed with Team Canada's performance or no? No, even when they lose, there's reason to be proud of this group. And this is the first time that they have lost in CONCACAF qualifying. Now, obviously, people wanted to ignite the party yesterday, last night, and there were several opportunities to ignite that party, but they absolutely dominated a man down and a goal down in the second half. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like what I saw in that second half where Canada, and listen, Costa Rica is a defensive team, but you're a man up. Yeah, that was insane. I couldn't believe what I was watching, to be honest. Like how they're and they're a good team too, Costa Rica. It's not like they're bottom of the table here. They're they're an aging team, and you could see that. I mean, Larea had himself an absolute game. He kept torching dudes left, right, and center. Tejon Buchanan was dancing dudes. I mean, listen, the first part of that game, I felt like Canada was overwhelmed. For the first, they got Concacaft mm-hmm. in the first half for the first time in this twelve-game window of Concacaf qualifying, where I thought they would be like that more often. And Mark Anthony K was the one who was most overwhelmed by it. The first challenge that he had was dangerous, reckless, and could have been a red card, mm-hmm. and maybe even should have been a red card. Here's a look at leaving the foot in. Now, I believe the way he danced out of it got him out of the red card. But that is a red cardable offense. And then to survive that with just the yellow and still make the mistake that he did later, I thought was the first time throughout all of this that I've seen a slight bit of Canada being overwhelmed, which makes the response of Canada being overwhelmed all the more impressive. Like, they were on their heels, they concede the goal, they're down a man, you're thinking, like, jam done. Mm -hmm. And then the second half starts, and I tweeted, like, this is a really impressive start to the second half, but how much longer can they keep this up? Like, they're down a man, they can't keep this energy throughout, and they bloody well did. Like, they, the entire second half, the entire 45 minutes was Canada except for one Joel Campbell break where Milan Borian unbelievably stood in his net, Mm -hmm. and I don't even know if he made a save. I think the fact that they were so good in the second half speaks to your point about them maybe being a little bit overwhelmed to begin with because I think they got into the room at half, and John Herbin probably had a a speech, pretty good one. Borian had a speech, too. Borian had a speech, and they probably came out of that saying, we're the better team, and we might even be the better team down a man. So let's play like it. And, and you saw that. And, and that's the reason they are where they are in the standings, because they, they really are pretty darn good here. The, the red card situation, yeah. do you have any problem? I, I don't have a real big problem with Kaga. I thought he, I thought he could have got a red card in the first. Yeah, well, yellow means caution, and that's not cautious to no. do what he did. No, he and, w- I mean, yes, obviously, which I think we're going to talk about next, it was a dive. But you but, still have to be cautious when you're on a yellow. I don't think anyone who knows soccer thought that the second yellow was egregious. Because you have to tread carefully. They can be both at the same time. Mm-hmm. A ridiculous dive mm-hmm. and a yellow card. He put his shoulder... Listen, you, you were lured into the moment. 
you took the bait and you were punished for it. Yeah. And that's what happened here. And like I wonder in the end oh, if bad. if we should push FIFA to allow the VAR official the power to give a yellow card for egregious flops and dives. Interesting. Like there were several times in this game where people hit the deck mm-hmm. and <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> right? Like this, this is yeah. I mean, you got to watch the replay on the one that we just showed where there was, and it was the same guy, it was Johan Venegas, mm-hmm. who was the one who drew the shoulder to the chest. I'm okay with that. That's a foul. That one, that's a Filipino diver. <laughs> like, come on, yeah. man. And this one right here is yes. the one that is the, so that's Venegas again. And he wasn't even looking at the ball. He runs into Atiba Hutchison, falls down at a very key moment in the game. Mm-hmm. And to me, FIFA should institute a rule. If you're going to go back at VAR and look at whether something's a red cardable offense, why can't the VAR official be empowered to look at the video and say, you tried to cheat the game? I, and listen, I believe that diving is a part of the game. Mm -hmm. I believe that embellishment is a part of the game, and it takes some skill to know when you go down to give your team a breather at the right time. And Richie Larea does it all the time. He gets his body in between a player and the ball, and he falls on the ball, and he gets a call. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when the sniper comes out of the third deck and guys just go down. FIFA needs to allow VAR to make the ruling on their own, and the re- no stoppage in time. Referee walks over, hands a yellow card, and they can play the replay in the in the in the stadium and or on TV. Uh, two quick points to that: um, Do you not think that it fundamentally changes the game in the sense that, you, to your point, it, it, you're taught it to be an art when you're young? how to dive properly in soccer, right? Yeah. So if you're going to do that, but you now open up the risk of getting a yellow card for a dive, don't you think that changes everything, like all the way down no, to I'm the grassroots I'm level? talking about egregious. Right. I'm talking about Dobby. Who was the guy at the corner flag that act like he got hit? Rivaldo. That's exactly what it's. Producer Thomas Dobby, uh, my go-to soccer, soccer, guy soccer guy all the time. Yeah. Rivaldo. I'm talking about Rivaldo. I'm talking about you go down in a box in an attempt to cheat the game on mm-hmm. purpose. That's what I'm talking about. And maybe if you go back and you look at, like, you could have gotten the yellow card without dropping on that Mark Anthony K. Yep. And that's the part where I think like you're losing so many people when you allow these egregious and terrible dives to go unpunished. And oftentimes, you lose control of the game as an official. Like I'm going to be honest with you. When guys are diving, that raises the level of the game a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, egregious dives. Guy goes down, he gets you. Oftentimes, you tip the cap. Yeah. Good job. But when you take it over a level, should be able to give a card. It's true. There were so many people last night writing on social media, and that's why I don't like soccer, because of dives like that. Right. Um, and there, there, used to be, there used to be a lot of countries who thought that diving was an embarrassment. Mm-hmm. And now they've all learned that this is just part of the game. I'm saying when it gets egregious and stupid, give a yellow card. 
Did I think that Mark Anthony K deserved the red? Yes. Yeah. Two can be, uh, they're not mutually They can coexist. Exclusive. Yes. Uh, so, despite the loss last night, we have a huge match Sunday. Sunday, home. Sunday, Bimo Sunday. Field. You're looking at the scenarios right now. Um, are you, well, I guess obviously it's going to be just a crazy atmosphere. I think some fans, if you really uh, ask them or give them the truth serum, they probably would have said that they would like to clinch at home because it's going to be that much fun. So uh, what kind of atmosphere are you expecting on Sunday? It's going to be absolutely crazy. And listen, if you have the sports PTSD on Canada, Mm -hmm. the odds of them not making the World Cup right now are slim and none. They need just one point from their last two games. Jamaica is not bringing their best side to BMO on Sunday. That said, even if they lost their last two games, the goal differential, and if you guys can bring up uh, the table for me, the goal differential between Canada and now Costa Rica, who is in fourth, is so significant that even if you lost those two games, you probably would still get in to the World Cup. You have a plus 11 differential between Canada and Costa Rica. So not only would they have to win their last two matches, Canada would have to lose their last two matches. And somehow, with the tiebreaker being goal differential, they'd have to lose like 3 nothing each, and Costa Rica would have to win 3 nothing each. So... There could be a coronation Mm -hmm. for Canada on Sunday. And not only did that thing sell out in seconds, and I know because I was online trying to grab tickets for that game, but right now we're hearing that the resale value on those tickets are off the charts. Like we're talking $1,000 tickets for Canada soccer when a couple years ago, Sid Sixero, Tim McAuliffe, and Thomas Dobby are going and sitting with the Voyageurs for like 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening anymore. No, it's absolutely positively not happening anymore. This country is swept up in it, baby. Um, chance to clinch at home. So we agree that it's going to be fun. Let's hear what Atib Hutchinson has to say about Sunday. It can be extremely special. I think one of the most special moments of my you know, my career, uh, for sure, uh, without a shadow of doubt. But, um, yeah, we're just going to have the right approach. Um, I don't know exactly what it will be like. You know, we all have imaginations of, of, or, or pictures of how it will be. Um, but I think it will be even more than what we expect. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We're excited. Uh, yeah, and as we said, a few of us, that maybe this is the way it's, you know, meant to be. So, um, yeah. The game can't come around fast enough. I was there for Panama, and I didn't think that I would ever see an atmosphere like that at a Canadian soccer game. Mm -hmm. And then Edmonton took it to another level. Azteca, the snowbank, Selly. What happens on Sunday could be the next step in the change of the culture of Canadian football forever. And that's not hyperbole. Like, that's real. Amazing. 250 bucks. Earlier this morning, we looked. Can't get in the building for less than 250 bucks. Lower bowl going for 1000 or more. <laughs> and it couldn't be a better setup because a win or a draw gets a job done, too. So It could be just a on. party throughout. Yeah. 
Uh, Craig Forrest coming up a little later to talk more soccer. But for now, we go to basketball. The Toronto Raptors got a big win last night over the Cavs, moving into a tie with Cleveland for sixth place in the East with nine games remaining in the season. Pascal Siakam led the way for the Raps once again, matching his season high with 35 points in just 32 minutes, along with five rebounds and six assists. What's been the most impressive part of Siakam's recent play? Because he has been dominant too. His last seven games, over 27 a game, shooting over 55% from the floor. Most astonishing is that he's shooting 57% from three to go along with the rebounding and assist numbers. How many Raptor fans need to apologize to Pascal Siakam for suggesting that his struggles meant that he wasn't worth the money, one, mm-hmm. and should have been traded, two. Like, there are thousands who should be lined up at Scotiabank <laughs> Arena or retweeting the, I'm sorry I doubted you, Pascal Siakam. Now, I know he needs to do it in the postseason. I know there'll be other times in his career where he will struggle, but admit it, you didn't think he would get back to this level. And let's be honest. He is in legitimate contention to compete for an all-NBA spot. I don't know if he'll get there, but he is in legitimate contention to compete for an all-NBA spot. And that's exactly what you need because what you're seeing out of Fred Van Vliet at the moment is that his knee is really bothering him. And if this team's going to go into the playoffs... They're going to need Pascal Siakam to play at this elite level because the health of Fred Van Vliet is a major question mark at this point of the season right now. Yeah, I don't think he looks 100%. You no. think it's a major question mark? Well, it's just Because frust- he did a job. Listen, he, he, he didn't score last night, but he did do a job on Darius Garland, who ate them for lunch last time around. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's getting the job done, but he's not 100%. And it's incredibly frustrating that at this point where they play when they're healthy – to a pretty high ceiling. Like, we have seen now that they can compete with a lot of teams, and you just wish that if they're going to go into either the play-in no, tournament or the top six, that they can be healthy, and he's their best player, most important player. Of course, but I, I almost respectfully disagree in that this is the time of year when you play through. Like, OG Ananobi's not 100%, but he went out there and he tried to do what yeah. he could do, and he I mean, Every team good. has it, I get that. Yeah, and I think what you saw in Fred Van Vliet is, yes, he's not close to 100%. I would agree with that. But also, Fred Van Vliet on the court makes this team better. And I thought even though his knee was bad and it looked like a couple times he got blown by because he couldn't pivot or he couldn't push, that he was still very valuable to this team. And I always say, when your game's not there, how do you make an impact? And Fred Van Vliet, one of the best things he does is even if the shot isn't falling, even if he's not scoring, even if there's a part of his game that's down a little bit, he makes an impact. Success is one thing. Impact is another. Freddie Van Vliet always makes an impact, and that's why I love him. But you're right. He's not 100%. Uh, The Raps, I think, for almost everybody, they are better than most people thought they were going to be coming into this year. It's a fun team to track. Uh, let's go to hockey. The Oilers beat the Sharks 5-2 in Edmonton last night. Mike Smith made 28 saves, and Leon Draisaitl scored twice in the victory. Edmonton is now 6-1-1 in their last eight games after winning just twice in their previous eight. It has been a turnaround, so what has been the biggest reason for that turnaround? Is it your boy, the head coach? Nah, it's health. 
I would love – and listen, I think Jay Woodcroft has made an impact on this team. Yeah. Um, I also think the health of this team has made an impact on this team. And the most interesting part of it, like, sure, okay, all the guys that have come back to this lineup, you can go through Nugent Hopkins returning and giving them that depth. And the way that Puglia Yarvi's played this year has given them that depth. Here are all the guys' additions through the trade deadline and, of course, through injury that have come back over the last little while. This might be the team that could surprise folks, but a lot of it hinges on goaltending, as we have said repeatedly. But let me offer this up to you, Jesse mm-hmm. Rubinoff. Mike Smith basically hasn't been healthy the entire year, and that's part of the reason why you and I were saying that they needed a goaltender. Is it possible that Mike Smith has gotten healthy and the guy that we have seen over the last little while could be the guy that you see in the postseason. And let me just give you, since his return, the numbers. 2 0 one 199 goals against average, 933 save percentage. Could it possibly be that Mike Smith, at 40 bleeping years old, is now healthy and playing the way he did last year? I hope so. I think we'd both, for Oilers fans' sake, be happy to walk back to hesitation with the Oilers goaltending and say, hey, Mike Smith was healthy and he got the job done. But at the end of the day, you have to look at the track record and you have to look at the history. And the history suggests it's a matter of time before he gets hurt. Right. And so it doesn't matter if he's playing well. well. No, you hope it continues. It does because if he can just stay healthy for the playoffs, <laughs> then you win two rounds and the, the season's a success. That would be lovely. That would be lovely for the Oilers. But it, it is so hard to to try and read into it because based on what we've seen, he has had a very difficult time staying healthy. I will say this about Jay Woodcroft. All of the things that people have been screaming about this team have been provided over the last secondary scoring. Yep. Okay, Evander Kane pickup has worked out pretty well. How about Kyler Yamamoto? I mean, he's got 10 points in his last seven games. Like, they have added pieces to this team. The goaltending, the defense has been better. Five on five, they have been much better under Jay Woodcroft. Like, mm-hmm. it seems as though all the things that everyone's been saying about the Oilers have been rectified to a certain extent. Whether that means they win in the postseason, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, Woody's doing a wonderful job. Feels like they're peaking at exactly the time you want to peak right before the postseason. The Canucks and the Jets lost ground in lock the up. wild card race last night. Winnipeg losing at home to the Sens, as you mentioned, Timmy, while the Canucks picked up a point in an overtime loss to the Minnesota Wild. But Dallas and Vegas both won. So Vancouver is now four points back of the second wild card, while Winnipeg is five points back. Checking out the updated puff oh. from sportsclubstats.com <laughs> that Timmy loves so much. Uh, the Stars' chances went up 8%, while the Jets dropped more than 8%. 6.8% is not a good number, Timmy. Last night, was that the end of Winnipeg's playoff hopes? Tonight, probably. (laughs) Eric Comrie goes in goal tonight against the Blue Jackets. Now, the Blue Jackets are a beatable team, and this is an interesting game because you got Patrick Laine coming back and Pierre-Luc Dubois, a very interesting game for both of them, which adds something to it. But if you look at the Jets' remaining schedule, Jesse, the next little while there are very winnable games. they got the Jackets, who aren't in a playoff position, then mm-hmm. Coyotes, Sabres, Leafs in the middle, Kings, who are okay, they're ahead of them in the schedule, but Red Wings, another bad team. Before it gets real tough. 
Okay, Avs, then Senators, Canadians, crack it. Look at that schedule right there. They can make some hay. Unfortunately, it's followed by the Panthers, Lightning, Rangers, <laughs> all on the road along with tough, Carolina, tough. and then home to the Avalanche. I, I think it might be done. It just proves this is why they play the games, because they were a preseason darling. They were many, many though. people chose them to be the best team in Canada. And here we sit with a 6.8% chance to make the playoffs. You brought out the truth serum. I'd love to give Paul Maurice the truth serum. That's why he walked away? Just figure out what it was. I mean, he's coached for a long time. Yep. I might take him at his word, but I also might think would have been too much work to try and bring this team back. Definitely a possibility. And why is that the case? Uh, Blue Jays played today. And as we do here on Tim and Friends, I'm going to hand it over to you. We've got for some the highlights. highlights, baby. Hyun Jin Ryu taking on the Tigers today, making his spring debut and celebrating his 35th birthday. This isn't a very nice way to greet a guy on his 35th birthday. Akil Badu, love, peace, and hair grease, turns on a 2-0 offering. And let me just say something. Hyun Jin Ryu was grooving fastballs early. And he gave up some runs early. Got some revenge on Badu swinging. Then he catches Robbie Grossman looking to end the inning. Birthday boy through three innings of three-run ball. Bottom of the fifth, George Springer. He's having a spring if you look at the numbers. Nice. Solo shot off a of former Blue Jay Chase Anderson. First homer of the spring. Tied at three, top seven. Now two on for Isaac Paredes. Gonna call him Isaac, but he's Latino, so that's Isaac. Line drive, three-run home run off of Julian Merriweather. Eight-four Tigers. The final. Detroit added two more in the ninth to do that. So Toronto falls to four and three this spring. Not really worried about that stuff. And I'm not. Listen, first inning, I'm not saying he's gonna have a good season, but he was just grooving fastballs way more than he normally does. Yeah, it's spring training. Keyword. Training. Training. Still to come, Dave McMenamin stops by to discuss the Raptors, LeBron, and the fallout in Miami. Ken Weave from Winnipeg ahead of Patrick Laine's return. And up next, Canada looking ahead to Sunday and the chance to book their trip to the World Cup. Longtime national team member, friend of the show, Footy Prime Podcast, Craig Forrest, joins us next to discuss. It's Friday. Let's get to that weekend. The undefeated streak is done. Canada has waited 36 years for World Cup qualification. What's another three days? BMO Field on Sunday. All they'll need is a point. They've killed you to put a tie on and dress up today. It's a big day. <laughs> a nice sock tie. Is that a rental? David. <laughs> oh, 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 chirper gets chirped. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here for hour number two on Tim and Friends. Jesse Rubinoff playing the drums, and I will be your soloist for now. Welcome back, kids. The champagne kept on ice last night for Canada, but it's ready to be popped at BMO Field Sunday. Canada needs a draw or win against Jamaica, who have won just once in the octagon. We'll have it all for you on Sportsnet. The pre-party starting at 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific on Sportsnet 1, and the game across the network at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Should be a good one. And the last time... 
Canadian soccer captured a major trophy. This man became my goalkeeper's crush. A part of Arash Madani's essay about the long wait. Here is the co-host of Footy Prime, the podcast, our old friend Craig Forrest, who rejoins us. Craig, thanks for doing this as always. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I uh, love being on the show. Anytime, my friend. Any, so what did you make of, uh, of last night before we before you know where you're going, you got to know where you came from. What did you make of last night? I thought, you know, after, you know, we, we obviously didn't get the result we were looking for. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if you're ever going to have to go through some adversity, uh, this was a good time to do it and learn a few lessons as well, because they got, uh, well, you could say CONCACAF, um, and they did that to themselves. Uh, they have to know better that they're playing against players that uh, are going to embellish and they will do anything to win. And they were desperate to win. They know how to play that game. It doesn't embarrass them. And you have to know that that's what you're up against. When these guys are playing in France, when they're playing in Germany, where they're playing in Britain, where they're playing all around the other world, Turkey, you're going to get different styles of play. And what we do have in CONCACAF is that. And it's not great. It's not good to watch. And I can't, I will not uh, ever agree with it. But you have to understand it. Right. And if that's the way they're going to be and the way the referees are going to call it, you've got to learn that. So this is probably a good learning curve for them because Kay is going to basically be you know, told that. And let's face it, Canada's had every bounce, every call so far. Yeah. So uh, they've, they've been pretty lucky that way. Other than, and then other than getting the re- result, I think that they really deserved last night, even down to 10 men. That second half was absolutely fantastic i thought yeah let's talk about that because for me oftentimes and listen i would have loved to have seen canada go through undefeated because i think it would have got them into that third pot for sure we'll discuss that in a flash but what did you think of the response to that first taste of adversity well that was it uh, the character that they showed i mean they put costa rica on their heels most of the second half. I don't think Borean had anything to do. I think he could have pulled a lawn chair out uh, <laughs> and sat there and watched the game, which is incredible. This is the first time they've actually gone down to Central America, remember, without some COVID restrictions. So yeah. this was a 35,000 loud crowd that they were, you know, were desperate for the result. And, you know, you see this chance there by Tejon off the bar. I mean, you know, just unbelievably bad luck as far as in front of the net. So, you know, you have to finish those off. They also got a great goalkeeper in uh, Navas, as you know. He's, yeah. uh, you know, probably arguably the, certainly the uh, the greatest goalkeeper that's ever played in CONCACAF. Uh, certainly the most uh, decorated. He's one of the Champions League, played for Real Madrid. Uh, but he got a bit of fortunate. Look at that. Off the post, your best friend. <laughs> Was that a little bit of a hand of God, though, from uh, Jonathan David? Like, had that gone in, do you think that that, I mean, he threw the old chicken wing out there a little bit. <laughs> Well, you can't you can't get away with that anymore, right? No. With VAR, uh, Diego Maradona, hand of God, would have been called back. Uh, but uh, you know, this was the sort of pressure, and I could not believe the, the fitness levels too of some of the players oh that God, haven't yeah. played regularly. Yeah, like Richie Larea, unfortunately, hasn't been able to get into the Nottingham Forest side. They've been doing so well, and they've had a great FA Cup run and all that. Um, so he hasn't played any first-team minutes as far as, you know, that competitive edge. Uh, so that answered a few questions that if he, even if he doesn't play uh, regularly, he's keeping himself really fit, and he's also able to step in and do a top-class uh, match. He was electric. And, 
and, and not miss a beach. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and if, you imagine he could end up going to a World Cup, not playing any games at all for Nottingham Forest, and he could end up being worth more money to Nottingham Forest <laughs> than he was when he went there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So I mean, me, it all depends. Let me ask you this, and, and this is moving forward a little bit, but that second half push was unreal, and it looked exhausting. Um, th- could that have taken a little bit out of them heading into Jamaica on Sunday? Uh, you know, normally I would say yes, uh, but the general feeling coming out of that game was, you know, for us to put them under that much pressure and batter them like we did in the second half away from home, and you're coming up against the Jamaican side that is not playing for anything, not to say they're not going to be scrapping, but I think Canada's got way too much. And I think once they come out of that tunnel at BMO Field yeah. and that place is buzzing like it's never been buzzing before, the adrenaline will be running in those players' veins, and I don't think they'll, they'll, it'll be a, a, a problem whatsoever. Craig, I, I said in, in all honesty, and listen, you are way closer than it, uh, to it than I. I didn't think I would ever see a scene like I saw at the end of the Panama game at BMO Field um, in Canadian soccer. Uh, it was spine tingling. My, I was with my son, who's 11 years old, and he was just in awe. Alfonso Davies had scored an unbelievable goal, and there were Canadian flags, and people stayed for a half an hour after just partying. It was unbelievable. And then Ice Teca happened, and Edmonton took it up another notch. Having been around the program as long as you have, what do you think Sunday will feel like? Oh, boy, I don't know. I, you know, It's an emotional one because I remember the, the biggest game I ever played for Canada uh, in my – well, for qualifying for a World Cup was, was in 1993 to qualify for 1994. We were tied with Mexico on points coming to the last game of the, the qualifying group in Toronto – at home at Varsity Stadium, we come out of that stadium and there's probably more Mexican supporters than Canadian supporters. It was deflating like you could never believe when that happened. And I'm going to, we're going to see this happen over here. It's not going to happen anymore because we've got the actual attention of the whole public and the, you know, the excitement of it. And, uh, you know, all those long-suffering fans for the last certainly 20 years, at least since 2000, uh, you know, Good for him for sticking around because there's a lot of bandwagon jumpers, and I love every single one of them. They, they're all welcome as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The more, the merrier, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope that they obviously get it done on Sunday because it's going to be a, a memorable day, I think. Yeah, that was probably, 93 was probably when I jumped on the bandwagon. I just timed my bandwagon jump a little wrong, Craig. <laughs> I got on it a little too late or a little too early, depending on how you see it. So so let me ask you this. We were talking about this in the, in the uh, first block of the show and I want to get your you've been around the game for a long time you understand how it's grown is there any chance that FIFA could give the VAR official the opportunity to hand out yellows based on egregious dives that they are able to look back at on video uh, absolutely. I think they should be doing more about that, of course. And, uh, you know, we discussed a little bit because, you know, look at the Anthony Kay situation. Uh, he got absolutely played like a treat by the Costa Rican. And he's walking into him. He's going to do the WWE flop on the back. I mean, I don't think I could have flopped any better myself if you tried. <laughs> and he's hardly touched him. Right. Like, here we go. And watch this. I mean, that's a 
that's a top class flop. That's Jimmy Fly Stuka stuff. <laughs> <laughs> little Jimmy Superflies nugget. Yeah, Jimmy Superfly. So anyway, what they should do uh, in a case like that, if the referee feels that Anthony Kay uh, did enough that he uh, should get another yellow, fine, send him off. But then say, I'm not putting up with that garbage because what you just did there is embarrassing to the game and you're going to get a yellow card for that as well. And I don't see any problem with that as well, because it's quite clear to everybody watching that there is an embellishment there. So why not penalize that? I love it. I've been saying this to Sixero for a long time. He said, ah, it'll never happen. There's not VAR in every stadium, not qualify. And now VAR is basically in every stadium, every qualification, every big game that we play, we have VAR there. So hopefully they will will close this up. Listen, uh, uh, you're going to the game on Sunday? Absolutely. I'm working for Sportsnet, apparently. Oh, nice. Good <laughs> hey. to have you on the team. Hey, um, welcome back. <laughs> enjoy enjoy it. I know that it's a little bit different standing on the sidelines than being on the pitch, but I know you've been there for a lot. The last major trophy was something that I celebrated in the boardroom at Score Television Network watching you play. I hope you can enjoy the moment and the scenes that will be at BMO on Sunday. I certainly will. Uh, uh, I really will. And I got to tell you, thanks a lot for, for always supporting us, even you know well, through the bad times as well. But I will say that every game that I ever played for Canada, I took the moment to take that you know into account that what I was actually doing playing for our national team. I loved every single minute of it. So don't worry about that. I will definitely take it in and uh, enjoy it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Tim. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Forrest. Thanks, buddy. He will be part of our coverage of the game on Sunday, Jesse. I know that there are people weighing in on the VAR mm-hmm. uh, egregious flop carding. What do we got? Yeah, from what you had to say uh, in the opening block. So Lee writes in and says, Thank you for saying what you said about the egregious dives. Every sport has a little bit of embellishment, but what we watched yesterday was absurd. The sport needs to have more integrity. The diving tainted an incredible game in my opinion. Yeah. I thought it was full marks for Costa Rica, too. Like, I'm not taking anything away from Costa Rica, or at least I'm not trying to. Yeah, I think Craig made a really good point that this is kind of what we've come to expect in CONCACAF soccer, right? But it's, it, straddles a, it straddles a line. Like, yeah. There were a couple last night that you referenced that were over the line. Sheldon writes in and says, spot on. Uh, VAR should absolutely be used to call egregious flopping, egregious flopping that is affecting soccer games at the highest level. Cheating the game should be punished. Last night looked like a sketch from the Three Stooges. (laughs) Josh says, diving any sport is my least favorite part of the game. I think it's classless. It ruins my enjoyment of the game. And Chaz, a sport that teaches diving is an absolute joke. Soccer needs to get that garbage out of the game. It is what has kept me from being more than a casual fan. And that's what I said. There were a lot of people who felt that way last night, but, I mean, it takes some getting used to if you're just getting on the bandwagon now. I wonder if hardcores are now saying the same thing if Craig Forrest said yes to VAR carding dives. Time for a break. When When we come back, we'll get to that Friday tradition, the best of the week, and hopefully get you smiling back after this right here on Tim and Friends. The Soccer Report, brought to you by Sports Interaction. Providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's sports book. Time now for the best of the week. We've dug deep into the depths of the internet, combed the web, and curated some of the best of the best for your viewing enjoyment. 
We'll show you the options and you can head over to our Twitter account at Tim and Friends to vote for your favorite. Nominee number one, Monday trade deadline day. NHL, GMs are on the phone all day trying to make their team better right now or in the future. They probably don't want to be bothered by guys like us, but sometimes they got to speak with a reporter or do an interview. Flames GM Brad Treliving did take some time to talk with Ryan Leslie, but he did not take kindly to the fashion advice. Would it have killed you to put a tie on and dress up today? It's a big day. <laughs> yeah, nice sock tie. Is that a rental? David. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, when oh, the chirper sh- gets chirped. I do love the confidence of Ryan Leslie in the moment to simply say, David. And just move on. <laughs> yeah, Marriage vows are supposed to be sacred. You make a promise to your significant other in sickness and in health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. We all know how it goes. Well, a girl named Ashley said she was ready to get angry at her husband for sitting on the couch all day watching March Madness until she remembered the vows that she agreed to on her wedding day. In joy and in sorrow. In joy and in sorrow. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. During March Madness. During March Madness. <laughs> Until death do we part. <laughs> to get that in your vows. Very well done. Smooth operator. Very well done. Uh, as we've always said in the show, sports are for everyone. Case in point, Zeeland Public School in Michigan. Senior student Jules Hoogland is blind. Took part in a unified basketball league game on Tuesday and got the opportunity to shoot a free throw. So you got to listen in to how quiet a full gym is because the teacher, in order for Jules to understand where the backboard and the rim are, taps the backboard so she can focus on the location. The results, glorious. Talk about a timeline cleanser. Yeah, no sides on that, no politics, no nothing. That's when sports is absolutely glorious. And so is this. More good stuff took place last night during the Sharks and Oilers game in Edmonton. Five-year-old Ben Stelter, currently battling brain cancer, was welcomed by the Oilers as the skater of the game. Ben got to meet his favorite player, Connor McDavid, pre-game skate. Oilers fans gave him a standing ovation during the intros. And then after the game, getting some high fives from the squad. He even joined Zach Hyman for the post-game press conference. Ben, who's your favorite Oiler? McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's a pretty good bet, even though I'm sitting right beside you. No offense taken. No offense taken. That's a tough one to beat, hey, Zach? Yeah. How did you think Zach Hyman played today? Good. I think he... Plays really good. Thanks, Ben. Shannon, your name out there. Hmm. Did you see the right? See all the fans on the other side? All the fans. Oh, look at that. They're all cheering for you. So awesome. Friend of the show, Jack, Zach Hyman, Mensch, 
Absolute mensch. Onions. Onions in here. Yeah, like, the last how two. Do you, how do you how choose? Do you choose? <laughs> we might have to give a co-best of the week. Like, I can't remember in the last year if we've ever, we haven't had a co-best of the week winner. Uh, head over to our Twitter account. Make the tough choice. At Tim and Friends. If you missed any of the nominees, you can find them on our Twitter account as well. We'll reveal the winner at the end of the show. Those are the reasons why we love sports, though. Like, you can take everything out and just focus on what you have in front of you. There are still very many good people in this world right now. And you're just teaching people compassion and, and empathy. And you could see that. Like, I all understand. the teammates and all that stuff, yeah, and all the yeah. fans, everyone in attendance, and people who see that and watch it like us. Right. You know, everyone needs a snap back into reality every every now and then. Yeah, so that's there are good people out there, not totally. just people screaming on Twitter. <laughs> After the break, Patrick Lyonet returns to Winnipeg tonight for the first time since being traded to Columbus. Sean Reynolds goes one-on-one with Lyonet. We will eavesdrop. Plus, Ken Weaver will join us from the rink ahead of the game. We'll visit with Ryan Leslie in Calgary as Tim and Friend rolls on on this Friday. Muchas gracias, Sheepdogs, back here for hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Dave McMenamin talking Raptors, Heat, Lakers, all things NBA. Just a half an hour to go on Sportsnet, which includes Jesse's newly named Friday golf segment. Plus, Ken Weeb in Winnipeg, Sean Reynolds one-on-one with Patrick Laine. But first... We are exactly two weeks to go to opening day, and the Jays field an opening day-like lineup in Dunedin today against Los Tigres. Seeing as I'm speaking Spanish, which Jin Jin Ryu does not speak, to my knowledge, celebrating his 35th birthday, third pitch of the game. Well, that's not very kind. Kiel Badu greets the birthday boy. Well, they shot. Detroit scored three in the first to take an early lead. Now top of the third. 3-2, Ryu getting some revenge on Badu. Strikes out swinging two hitters later. Robbie Grossman's window shot. The birthday boy, three innings of three-run ball. Bottom of the fifth. George Springer having himself a wee bit of a spring since getting into the lineup. He's down with OFP. A little opposite field power. Chase Anderson gives it up. Tied at three. Top seven, though. Two on for Isaac Beredus. And he hits a line drive, three-run shot off Julian Merriweather. See if he can stay healthy this year. Detroit would have two more in the ninth to win it. 8-4 is your final as Toronto falls to who gives a bleep this spring. As mentioned, two weeks away from opening day, Tim and friends will be down on the field for opening day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Now, there will be some upgrades at Rogers Center earlier today. Hazel May caught up with Jay's president, Mark Shapiro, who provided some interesting updates on what those updates will be. Here are the updates on the updates. Fans are going to see some new things inside Rogers Center. First of all, talk about the scoreboard and then 
possible renovations moving forward? Yeah, well, they're, they're going to see the scoreboard and, and new LED lights that are going to have an impact on the in-game presentation. They're going to be more entertaining. It's one of those things where I'm not sure you appreciate unless you see it side by side, which they're not going to see the old scoreboard next to the new one. But uh, we were a couple generations outdated in our scoreboard technology. So the, the capability for the incredibly talented people that we have producing in-game entertainment um, is going to be on display. And I think it'll change you know, the viewing experience for a lot of our fans that are maybe looking for not just core baseball, but a holistic experience. And the lights will as well. They'll add, uh, they'll make the building feel different, which is positive and give us another opportunity to celebrate um, some special moments in the game. Can they expect more moving forward? Yes. Yeah, I think at uh, some point later this spring, we're going to have a, a significant announcement um, on a, a midterm renovation of Rogers Center that's going to impact every aspect of fan experience and player experience and really modernize that facility, uh, give us the opportunity to give a, a much better experience for our fans and for our players um, you know, for the next decade or more. Shapiro didn't stop there either. Speaking to the writers, said that a new stadium could still be in play, mm. but not for another 10 to 15 years. Where that would be? Well, that's an interesting question, to say the least. All right, to football. Deshaun Watson met with the media in Cleveland today for the first time since being traded to the Browns and signing that 250, excuse me, $230 million guaranteed contract. Now, Watson, of course, was asked about the sexual assault allegations against him made by 22 complainants. Here's what he had to say. I can't speak on on what people' um, opinions are um, because everyone have their own opinions. But what I can continue to do is tell the truth, and that is I've never assaulted or disrespected or harassed any woman in my life. Like I said before, I was raised differently. That's not my DNA. That's not my culture. That's not me as a person, and that's not how I was raised. Our attorneys advise us that reaching out directly could be considered interfering with a criminal investigation. But that's the reason that we did hire independent investigators to make sure that we could get that comprehensive and holistic perspective. The investigators you hired did speak to the women? I'll say the investigators we hired were able to get a full perspective of, of all the cases. Comprehensive, holistic, full. All right, to hockey. The Flames back in action on home ice as they host the Coyotes tonight. The Coyotes see it regionally Sportsnet West. Flames coming off a disappointing loss to the Sharks last time out. We're never disappointed when we get to visit with Ryan Leslie, who has more on tonight's game. Let's go live to Calgary. Ryan, what's going on? Thanks very much, Tim. Yes, all of the talk is not only about bouncing back from that game you referenced against San Jose against a struggling Arizona Coyotes team, but a lot of talk is about is Sean Monahan going to be a scratch uh, perhaps tonight for the very first time, at least as far as a healthy scratch, at least performance-based scratch in his career. Uh, you may recall there was some time a few years ago that he had to set out more of a disciplinary thing, but now there's a lot of eyes on whether or not uh, this former sixth overall pick could be out of the lineup tonight. Daryl Sutter uh, sort of tipping his hand, if you will, today, saying that maybe a little bit was on him. Uh, after that uh, hip surgery that Monaghan underwent last year, uh, Daryl Sutter was sort of almost saying that he needs to maybe manage that a little bit better, and he plans on doing so going forward. So that's worth keeping an eye on. Ryan Carpenter, newly acquired. We're not sure if he's going to be in the lineup tonight. Looks as though he and Monaghan are both 
the odd man out, which would mean the fourth line wouldn't feature either one of them. So uh, certainly uh, with an optional skate today, we'll kind of keep an eye on that in the warm-up. So that's kind of the news right now. No surprise that Jacob Markstrom is going to get the start. It's really more about will he start again tomorrow in the Battle of Alberta. So some questions ahead of puck drop, but certainly it's a team that has not dropped uh, more than a couple in a row since mid-January. They bounce back after losses, so we'll also be keeping an eye on that type of effort. But it is business as usual for the uh, Calgary Flames who look to get back on track against Arizona, Timmy. Monaghan, amazing. A three-time 30-goal scorer could be in the press box watching tonight. We'll keep our eye on that. By the way, we're also keeping our eye on the best of the week. Did you realize that you and the general <laughs> manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Treliving, uh, made the best of the week after the chirp of the rental? No, I wasn't aware, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm glad uh, that we could provide some content for the show and <laughs> maybe some laughs at my expense. I think that's what it's I, really come down to. I don't think I think your reaction to the chirp added to the laughs. Without a doubt, I think you handled it like an absolute pro. Whenever you're in trouble, you just throw back to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he just threw back to the studio. Thanks, Ryan. Great talking to you. There's Ryan Leslie in Calgary, in Winnipeg. Meanwhile, Jets and their fans welcome back Patrick Laine tonight. Laine, of course, spent the first four seasons of his career in Winnipeg after being drafted second overall. He only scored 140 goals in that time before being dealt for Pierre-Luc Dubois ahead of his return tonight. Sean Reynolds caught up with Patrick Laine. Patrick, welcome back to Winnipeg. It is great to see you. What are some of the emotions that you're feeling as you come back into this building for the first time since you were traded? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's exciting to be back. Uh, you know, didn't get the chance to play against these guys when they were in Ohio, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird to be back. You know, as a as a visitor, kind of still weird how uh, all the things work here. But uh, no, it's it's great to see everyone, and uh, it's it's fun to be back. What's the reaction you are expecting from the fans here tonight? Honestly, I have no idea. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll see tonight. Hopefully, it's uh, it's a warm welcome. But you know, you never know. But um, I'll I'll take whatever comes my comes my way. I, I I'm I'm sure I did uh, everything I could on the ice as well as I, I could. And um, but yeah, I guess guess we'll see. You've had time to reflect. What's your favorite memory of your time in Winnipeg? Uh, well, there's just, there's just so many, um, it's, it's kind of hard to pick one, but I was, I would still probably say my first game, um, you know, first, first game in in the NHL in front of the home fans, uh, in front of my family, um, and obviously, obviously getting the win and first goal and assist, it was, it was awesome. I know last season wasn't what you were hoping or expecting from yourself. You've really turned that around to the degree that you're on your best points per game pace you've ever had in your career. How did you turn it around? I think just uh, just hard work. Um, obviously, saw it, saw it last year that it's it's not very fun when it's when it's going the wrong way and kind of kind of let it go at uh, during times last year. And obviously, it wasn't wasn't the right right thing to do. But you know, you learn from your mistakes and worked really hard uh, before the season during camp and um, all, all throughout the season and I think that's just that's just behind it. Maybe just maybe the only thing hotter than your offensive game is your fashion game this year. How would you describe Patrick Lyonnais fashion sense? Um, I, I don't know. In my opinion, it's uh, I, one word probably would be different. Uh, some guys like it, some guys don't. 
personally I like it that's that's all that uh, really matters to me but you know had a lot of a lot of positive comments about uh, my fashion game this this year and uh, but I, I think there's still a, a lot of a lot of different different ideas I got going on I gotta say it's on point all right let's do some quick hitters uh, your favorite restaurant that you missed the most here in Winnipeg Probably oh, gotta say five two nine, you know, big big steak guy, and that was that was usually the go to. So uh, I would say that. Who is the best number twenty nine in Columbus Blue Jackets history? You or your head coach, Brad Larson? <laughs> uh, I don't want to piss him off, so I say I'll say Lars. <laughs> what is a blue jacket? What is a blue jacket? Uh, like what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> What is other than the hockey player? What you're named after? What is a blue jacket? I have no clue. Guy wearing a blue jacket? I don't know. <laughs> there we go. You versus Helly on a breakaway. Who wins? Nah, I'll I'll take that bet any day of the week. I'll I'll bet on myself. Excellent. And what do you miss most about Nikolai Ehlers? Uh, what do I miss the most? I don't know. It's just his uh, it's just his presence. Uh, you know, we're so close for. Uh, for the time I was here, uh, so definitely miss. Uh, well, not not seeing him every day uh, during the year was enough, and uh, summer kind of laid off a little bit. But uh, definitely uh, miss uh, miss that guy. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. It's great to see you. Thank you. You as well. Sean Reynolds, Patrick Line, twenty-five <laughs> goals in forty-five games. Not all that bad. Plus all the fashion, Jesse. The fashion and the Blue Jacket answer was fantastic. The Blue Jacket answer it's was not like fantastic. technically wrong, right? It, it is a guy in a blue jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a Navy, in the Navy, right? Well, I think it was uh, uh, part of the area. Right. Right. They were uh, the North, right? Tough question, basically, is what it boils is down the, to. Is that the, is the North? Yeah. They wore the blue jackets? Yes, sure. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. In the Revolution? Yeah, very nice. Look at you. They have a cannon, right? Look at, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. All right, let's so go I to Canada. Let's, let's right. stop this conversation because it is a tough question. I think, I don't know, I'm not acting like I do know. No, Maybe I Ken Weave right. knows. He joins us now live right. from Winnipeg. Uh, Ken, do you know the answer to what a blue jacket is? <laughs> well, uh, I prefer to talk about the cannon, actually. Timmy, uh, great to be with you. Yeah. Uh, all we know is there's a red-hot blue jacket rolling into town, and he attracted a lot of attention this morning, and I would imagine uh, he'll be the center of attention this evening as well. Without a doubt. What's the reaction going to be like for Patrick Lydon in Winnipeg tonight? Yeah, I'm anticipating a lot of roars here. Uh, for me, I, I said to Sean earlier today, it's the most highly anticipated regular season game since a certain Timu Solani rolled into town uh, in that first year with the Anaheim Ducks. You know, there could be a smattering of booze. Again, this is a guy who, you know, asked for a trade out of town eventually, uh, you know, even if it was a bit passive-aggressive, if you will. But Patrick loved Winnipeg. He loved the city. He loved the way he was received by the fan base. I expect there to be a standing ovation uh, when the old welcome back video uh, starts to roll in the building. That'll also include a welcome for Jack Rozovic and Pascal Vincent. Uh, but make no mistake, this is the Patrick Line show here this evening, and it'll be fascinating to see how it goes for both parties in this one. All right, we're tying up the Blue Jacket. Jesse, did you look up what the Blue Jacket was? I mean, I, I went to Google. I went to Google, and it says 
a sailor in the Navy. No, what the team is I, named I know. after. It's, it's a little be, more convoluted than that. It's a so civil war. I'm going fi- to figure out the actual definition, not just the Google, and I'll get back to you on that. I think the North wore blue. I'm you really want to be right on yeah, that. I just want to know the answer. I understand. I, understand. I just want to. I don't want to leave our friend. All right, so let's. before you know where you're going, Mr. Weeb, you've got to know where you come from, and that's why I'm stuck on the blue jacket question, and that's why I'm stuck on last night for the Winnipeg Jets, because that seemed to me like a great opportunity to keep it moving, and it's got to be a real disappointing loss to Ottawa. Yeah, no doubt about that, uh, Timmy. The super stumper by Sean Reynolds. Who knew it would have this many tentacles <laughs> yes, later in the day yes. as we try to get down to business here? But yes, it was a super stumper for the Jets as well, was how to attack the Ottawa Senators. They had almost no offensive zone time. Uh, they did not generate much in terms of offense against former Winnipeg Jets taxi squatter Anton Forsberg, yeah. who's resurrected his career nicely. A concerning effort by the Jets, there's no doubt. Timmy, they haven't won three in a row since January. January. So if you're trying to go 15 and 5 in your last 20, I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't take much of a math major to figure out you better be winning three in a row on more than one occasion. So it was a demoralizing and deflating loss, but for whatever reason, this team has responded well to poor showing. So they're going to need to be ready here this evening uh, because we know the Blue Jackets are going to have plenty of motivation of their own, even though they're one of these six consecutive playoff teams or non-playoff teams the Jets are facing. This is an interesting schedule, and I tried to point this out, and I didn't do it very eloquently in the opening block of the show, but this schedule is really interesting for Winnipeg. They don't get any of the teams that they're chasing. They get a bunch of really bad teams, and then they get a bunch of really good teams. Like, they could make some hay. Well, they have to make some hay over the next little while, let's be honest, right? No doubt about it. Yeah, this was a stretch where they had to pile up victories uh, ad nauseum. But as you mentioned, they're going to be facing some of the elite of the elite down the stretch. So if they don't uh, beat up on those teams that are below them, uh, their chances will be even slimmer than they are right now. So they need to definitely take advantage and respond after a poor showing against the Ottawa Senators. I would expect the leadership core to be very strong in this game tonight. And I also expect a big game from Pierre-Luc Dubois. Brad Larson, after uh, showering Patrick Laine with compliments, also happened to say he's happy he doesn't have to see Pierre-Luc Dubois more than twice a year because he knows how big of a pest he can be and how his game has really grown here uh, with the Winnipeg Jets this season. Okay, so let me ask you the million-dollar question, Ken, and that is how did a team that kind of was a sexy pick to be the best team in Canada this year find themselves in a spot where uh, they're basically playing must-win games now? Yeah, it's the great mystery. This team has been so perplexing all season long, Tim. I mean, they haven't got enough throughout the course of their lineup. Uh, One night, the top line's going. The next night, the Dubois line is going. They haven't had a ton of secondary and complementary scoring. They haven't had a ton of offense from the defense. And even though they upgraded the back end, the group has not been greater than the sum of its parts this year. They continue to struggle to check in front of the net their goaltending has been more at the average level that's not to blame this at all on Connor Hellebuck he remains the foundation of his team as he showed on Tuesday against Vegas but he hasn't been super elite Connor Hellebuck which is what we've come to expect from him and because of all those certain factors the Jets haven't really found any steam this year it's hard to believe Tim this team had its best start in franchise history at 9-3-3 and since that time it has been a uh, sort of litany of errors they've tried to make up for 
They haven't had the answers, and if they can't figure out those answers quickly, I think there could be another core group shakeup coming this offseason uh, with Kevin Chevalier up. Yeah, that was, that was the follow-up for me was if it doesn't work out, if they aren't able to capture these wins over the next little while. I don't talk to you enough to have these conversations all the time. What happens this offseason? Like, do you think there'll be major shakeups in Winnipeg? I really do, Timmy. Again, it's tough to pinpoint where these things would happen. But again, the story can be written over this final quarter of the season. It's a long time to sort of leave your mark on a season that has been a disappointment. But you'd have to think that there would have to be some pieces moved out. Obviously, we know the Line Rozovic for Dubois deal was a foundational type of trade. I have to believe that another one would be coming mm. if this group cannot get them over the top. Only three playoff round victories in this now the 11th season. And if you look around the Central Division, so many of those teams are improving and they're not going away. Most of those core groups are under contract. So for the Jets to break through and get to where they want to get to, I think they're going to have to upgrade the roster unless they can pull a rabbit out of the hat with a big finish. So uh, fascinating times around these parts, there's no doubt. Without a doubt, we'll keep our eye on it. Uh, Another great haircut on the show. Appreciate you, Mr. (laughs) Weeb. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Timmy. And uh, Ryan Leslie, where's the tie? He got all over Brad Trilliving for not <laughs> yeah. wearing one on Monday. Yeah. I'm um, not, not sure about that one. Yeah, tell him again. Uh, we'll see if he wins the best of the week because of that little chirp from Trilliving. Thanks, Mr. Weeb. Take care of yourself. Thank. Have a great weekend, guys. And there is uh, Ken Weeb. He'll be watching tonight Jets and Blue Jackets. Patrick Line making his return and also an interesting game for, Pat, uh, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. After the break. Uh-oh. Not only is Rubinoff bringing his new Friday tradition, but he's going to give us the answer to the Blue Jackets question. Weeb is going to be sticking around. Patrick Line, if you're watching, you'll get the answer. And we unleash Jesse's new segment with a graphic. Next. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, the fourth installment of Jesse's Friday Golf segment. Jesse, do we have a name? So a week ago, we sent out a poll to try and narrow down the names. We got it down to four. Mm -hmm. And in quite possibly what is the closest poll in human history, we have a winner. Oh, my God. 29.6%. Barely, barely edging out. Just tap it in at 29%. 0.1% 0.1% we have. Tap it in. Thank it. golf, it's Friday. All right, so all that right. will be the segment moving forward. Nice. Uh, but there is one other addition to the, the golf yeah, segment for this week. Uh, can I get a drum roll, Timmy? Oh, yeah, of course. So welcome, Tim and Friends, to the latest and newest edition of Thank Golf. Oh, my God, hurry up. It's Friday. My moving, forearms were getting The moving sore. golf ball and all. You I'm like it? You, you it. dig the graphic? You okay yeah, <laughs> over there? Yeah. Hurt your wrist? Yeah. Doing no, the drum no, roll? I, my forearms were getting sore. That was a oh, long, okay. was a long drum, drum roll. roll. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, okay, hope everybody likes the graphic because I uh, certainly love it. Yeah. And uh, here's the story for this week. Uh, okay. Everybody in golf hates slow play, right? Yep. Like everybody. You do too. Yeah, I do. I'm like, you get out for a day on the course yeah, and you're behind. stuck behind a group with a guy that snap hooks it into the forest then pulls a ball out of his pants and drops another ball then... Takes uh, ten minutes to look pot. for the first ball, and then they could be the nicest people uh, on earth. But if they're holding you up, you automatically despise without, them. Without a doubt. So slow play is a problem on the PGA Tour as well. 
This from earlier in the week at the Dell match play. This is Keegan Bradley lining up a six-footer. Oh, my God. Okay, six-footer is generous. Using the aim point technique, where the main point of the aim point is that he's trying to feel the slope with his feet. So he's using physics to become a better putter. Now, he's not the only one on tour to do it these days. Oh, dear God. Justin Rose does it. Adam Scott does it from time to time. If I see you at a local course doing this, I am driving into you. Like, this is, this is bad. We're going on 30 seconds here. Now he's just walking it back. Oh, no, no. He does that all the time. That's no. unique. To, that part's unique to Keegan Bradley. Everybody does the aim point, but he, he most definitely takes the longest. So when you take that long on a putt like that, you have got to make the putt, right? <laughs> you got so good. I'm glad he missed that putt. you got to make the putt. Yeah. I am glad he missed that So a uh, tough look for Keegan Bradley, but uh, the Dell match play continues on despite the missed putt. From Mr. Bradley. Good start to thank golf. It's Friday. Appreciate that, Timmy. Uh, par 317th, Richard Dick Bland in his tournament debut. One up. Dickie Bland! Lee Westwood. Ooh, curls back to the right and uh, drains a long birdie putt. That puts the pressure on Westwood, who needs to sink his birdie attempt to stay alive in the match, but must, much like Keegan Bradley, misses the putt. Bland advances to the round of 16, 2 and 1. Meanwhile, Brooks Kepka unbeaten so far in group play, chipping on the par 418th. Looks absolutely uh, nothing like me there. I would uh, put it right through the green. You know, leaves him nine feet for birdie. Up on the green, can two putt for the win. Only needs one. He beats Shane Lowry, advances to the round of 16. Now this is what all the Canadian golf fans are, are wondering about. Corey Connors, two up on Alex Norin, the Swede. Second shot on the par four, 13th. That's a beauty, settles 13 feet from the cup. The Canadian 2-0 in group play, sinks the birdie. Nornwood misses birdie attempt, and he has gone on to win the match. 3-0 in group play, Corey Connors. He is moving on. Thank golf. It is Friday to me. Can I, uh, can I uh, put something forward for thank golf? It's Friday. Yeah. Every time that Richard Bland appears in the highlights, we call him Spicy Sausage. <laughs> no? It's your show. Richard Bland, <laughs> Spicy Sausage. I like it. Can I like you, it. Uh, we, we were, this is the name segment. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are tuning in. Hockey Central's coming up, and I'm talking about Spicy Sausage. But we were also talking about names. Not only thank golf, it's Friday, Jesse. But the name of the Columbus Blue Jackets, it was a super stumper from Sean Reynolds to Patrick Laine. Give us the correct answer on what a Blue Jacket is in this instance. Yeah, I mean, I I would be um, curious to know how many people actually have thought about this at one point or another. But here is from the NHL's website. The Blue Jacket's name was selected because the name pays homage to Ohio's contributions to American history and the great pride and patriotism exhibited by its citizens, especially during the Civil War, as both the state of Ohio and the city of Columbus were significantly influential on the Union Army. Ohio contributed more of its population to the Union Army than any other state, while many of the blue coats worn by the Union soldiers were manufactured in Columbus. So Timmy is wearing a blue jacket and will be patting himself on the back and separating his shoulder because he was right. Although I I do think you said American Revolution at the beginning. At the beginning. You might have changed yeah, yeah. it to Civil War yeah. afterwards. I meant the North. You meant the North. Yeah, okay. I did say the North. Did That's, I not by the no, end No, you of did. It? You did. You came around. Which is why the canon. I'm embarrassed because what did I say? Oh, so geography was my favorite subject. History was number two, but not a good look for me. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> All right. Time for uh, Hockey Central. Guess what? 
Our good friend Faisal Kamisa is on the hosting duties along fine, alongside our good friends Mike Fuda and Justin Bourne. As for us, we'll be back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360 with ESPN's Dave McMenamin to talk Raptors, Heat, and plenty more NBA. Back in 60 on 360, Faisal and company on Sportsnet. What did our boss John Coleman say about yeah. that <laughs> You're not, he you're wasn't not right, going. yeah. Right. He, he yeah. wasn't right. Chicken. You're a chicken. <laughs> Eight of the final ten will be at home for the Raptors, and good news, OG Ananobi will play. The no logo! How sweet it is! OG with the three! Good! Here's OG, and it's good! Siakam lines it up, attack, spin, cycle! Speed wash! Pascal, the three! Good! Don't leave him! Here's Precious. Barnes with the two-handed slam! Here's OG, and he leaves it for Spicy P. On their feet in Toronto. Good night, Cleveland. I think our record at home has been a little iffy. That's a big win for us. That was a big win for the Toronto Raptors, and it couldn't have come at a better time as they even up with not only Cleveland for sixth in the East, but they are now just one game back of the Chicago Bulls. Four-fifth with nine games remaining. Here to help us sort through what is a very tight Eastern Conference. Maybe weigh in a little bit on the Miami Heat and the Los Angeles Lakers, which he covers for ESPN, is Dave McMenamin. What's going on, McMenamin? How are you, brother? I'm doing well, Tim. Just uh, got a brief break back in Los Angeles before I head back on the road tomorrow. The Lakers have a uh, road-heavy schedule to end things out here, and we'll see if it ends up with them getting into uh, the postseason or not. Uh, right now, it's very much up in the air. Okay, so let's talk about the Lakers to start. And are they turning into the team that no one wants to face again? I mean, LeBron doesn't play. They give the Sixers a pretty tough run for the money. They beat Toronto. They beat Cleveland. Russell Westbrook seems like he's playing a little bit again. Like, what's going on here with the Lakers? Yeah, it's four straight games for Russell Westbrook with 20-plus points and 8-plus assists. It's been the best most consistent stretch of his season so far. And you actually can thank the Raptors for really sparing that. It started with that miraculous recovery that he had late in the game in Toronto, gets the steal, comes down the other end, hits the game tying three. They win it overtime. And uh, it's been a, a spark that at least lets you believe that there is a modicum of hope to say if they are to get to the playing tournament and they are to get Anthony Davis back, they can play some competitive basketball. For a while there, it looked like they had such a cushion between them and the next teams in 10th and 11th that they were just going to back into the play-in tournament, whether they were playing good ball or not, and you know, most likely uh, have a, a whimper of a finale to the season. But now you, you talk yourself into at least it being competitive basketball. Uh, of course, if they are to get out of the play-in tournament, the reward of the uh, Phoenix Suns, who already have 60 wins and look like to be the prohibitive favorites to win it all, but you never know what can happen. Did, did Russell Westbrook just call the game against the Pelicans a must-win? <laughs> That's how far we've fallen. The game <laughs> against a Pelicans team that certainly has not had Zion Williamson this season, has had their own fair share of injuries in and out of the lineup. A Pelicans team that, that beat the Lakers, I remind you, by 28 points the second game out of the All-Star break. Uh, for this Lakers squad. Uh, but that's where we are right now. And by virtue of the play-in tournament, I guess you could say this is, makes it 
more compelling down the stretch where we have a game between two teams that are 10 games under 500 that you consider a must win. Okay, I want to be mad at LeBron James for what I believe to be him chasing a scoring title because he knows what it would mean in his legacy to win a scoring title at this age. But, like, where are you on the – is it obvious that he's doing it or should I just shut up and enjoy the, the fact that an old man is going to win the scoring title? I mean, I guess my question would be, what's the better alternative to just not score as many points? No, to rest and make sure that your minutes are good so that when you get to the time that actually matters, because you're probably not falling out of that play-in game, that you're fresh and ready to go. But if you kind of sort of know you're not going to make any noise, why not win a scoring title? Sorry, I'm okay. Jaded. Now that's that, no, no. Now that is a, an argument that I think has some merit to it. Certainly, mm-hmm. if you believe there's a chance for a, a long postseason berth. I would also say, though, this really started when Anthony Davis went out with his yeah. MCL injury back yeah. in December. You're right. That's when LeBron started 23 straight games, with 25 points or more. The team needed in that moment, and from there, I think yes, he saw that there's a carrot on the stick. That no matter what happens with our team record. This is something I could add, a feather in my cap. A couple of years ago, in year 17, I get the first assist title of my career. Right. Why not in year 19 get the second scoring title? It is ridiculous, right? Like in year 19, winning a scoring title. I mean, it is, it's, it's Paul Bunyan type stuff. It, it's folklore <laughs> type stuff. This is when we talk about Wilt Chamberlain 50 years after he played, you say, you know that as a center, he led the league in assists or, you know, one season, he averaged more than 48 minutes per game. This is the type of stuff that LeBron's doing now where we say, remember when he was 37 yeah. and the highest scoring average ever for a player at that age was 22 points a game by Kobe Bryant who shot 37% from the field. Oh, well, LeBron, when he was 37, he led the league in scoring and beat out guys like Giannis in his prime, Joel Embiid in his prime, Kevin Durant in his prime. Do you remember a time, and this might be uh, way too specific for you to actually have an answer to unless you've written an article about it, but where there were two teams as dangerous as Los Angeles and Brooklyn this low in the standings this late in the season? It doesn't happen, and and obviously they both have such different paths to get here. The Kyrie Irving situation, I think all of us have talked about that ad nauseum this season, and the Lakers has just been straight injuries but yeah they both have a puncher's chance i think certainly uh because they have health in brooklyn right now that would be the team you know outside ben simmons and that's a new wrinkle of course but the fact that they have their two leading scorers in the lineup they're going to have Kyrie river home games that's the team i think that's scaring a lot of teams around the league right now but listen even when the lakers were struggling i was talking to opposing assistant coaches on western conference teams and milling about on the court prior to tip-off and asking what they thought of the squad down there with LeBron and company. And they're like, like, no, we don't want to play him in the playoffs. Who would want to? And I think that's the track record that that LeBron has earned over the years. All right, I'm going to ask you a Raptors-specific question. And I wonder, at the start of the year, I said, listen, in the NBA, if you work your ass off, you play defense, and you hustle for 48 minutes, I believe you can get to around 30 to 35 wins on that alone on just working really hard and playing a good, solid system. Where they're at now, like, I mean, if you are the Hawks or the Knicks or teams perennially that are behind a team like the Raptors, how damning is what the Raptors are doing and maybe even pressing for a six or five seed in the East? Well, let's just start with the positive side of the story. You have... 
a Raptors team that's trending in the right direction. They won seven out of their last 10 at the right time of the year. You have an all-star in Fred Van Vliet, a homegrown talent. Obviously, Nick Nurse, a guy with championship experience that they can get in uh, and, and get a favorable matchup. He knows how to press the right buttons. They drafted well with Scotty Barnes. Pascal Siakam, another homegrown talent that continues to show what he can do. Guys like OG Ananobi and CB off the bench. So they got a, a solid squad. Now, I, I think there's way more attention paid towards an Atlanta team because of their star and Trey young. There's more attention paid towards the Knicks because of their market, but the Raptors are a team, not heavy in star power, but certainly um, heavy in team fit. And that can matter when it comes down to trying to figure out a opponent over the course of the seven game series. But like, you know, Fred Van Vliet's undrafted. Pascal Siakam is late. Like, we're talking about teams that have been in the lottery repeatedly, and they're handing them their lunch. How important do you think it is that the Raptors get out of the play-in games and into that succeed? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be in the scenario, first of all, to be in the play-in and potentially your reward is to face a team like the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. Right. Now, maybe the Miami Heat, based on what we've seen yeah. uh, over the last 48 hours, there could be uh, a bit of trouble in paradise down in South Beach right now. But yeah, I, I think any team, uh, especially a team like the Raptors, where you are building towards something, to not have it come down to chance in the play-in tournament and give yourself a legitimate shot and also – Again, I don't need to remind your audience, but the Raptors have a true home court advantage when it comes to postseason games. Uh, and to be able to guarantee yourself two games on that floor, I think is certainly that they all want to strive for. Tell them again, bad boy. Tell them again. Hey, the, the, the heat thing is amazing. Like, I'm a firm believer that the gem cannot be polished without friction. But that thing went a little too far uh, a couple days ago. Give me an example in your history where you remember two teammates going at it better than you saw from Haslam and Butler. And Spolster. Well, I did cover at one point. I never heard the, you know, I'm going to kick your your bleep like Haslam said, but I, there was a time I covered Luke Walton where he punched a clipboard and broke it in half, which was a very impressive karate chop move. <laughs> Eric Spolster, it was just a plot move with the clipboard. Not as exciting. And also, but like we've seen this over the years, LeBron and Tristan Thompson, LeBron and Kyrie Irving, LeBron and Phil Handy, uh, a former assistant coach for the Raptors. Some of your audience will remember yep. it, it'll happen, you know, and, and I think your way to describe it is really eloquent. Uh, what is the point of getting down into the trenches if you can't have honest conversations, you can't hold one another accountable? And it really has no impact on what the final score is. Like This isn't like a scenario like the Warriors in Kevin Durant's last season, and it's Draymond Green confronting him saying, like, we already know you're planning on leaving us as a free agent. Um, You need to, to quit this. We're tired of your act. This is like Jimmy thinks they should play a certain way to win. Spolster thinks they should play a certain way to win. They both want to win. We better get this right over the next 10 games because then the games really matter. Uh, I'm not eloquent. I stole that from Seneca just by following the Daily Stoic on Twitter. Uh, a gem cannot be polished without friction and something about man and perfection, but I don't know anything about that. So I'll just say thanks for doing this and thanks for saying eloquent when I obviously ripped it off. It was perfection to me. So, <laughs> thanks, yeah. McManaman. Appreciate you. 
Yes, sir. Uh, there is Dave McMenamin. You can get all of his stuff on Twitter at MC10 or ESPN.com. Time for a break. When we come back, Rubinoff, best of the week winner and last call. Nick, have we decided who our best of the week winner is? Well, people want us to do something we haven't done ever. What's that? Welcome back. Best of the week. Thanks for voting for the best of the week. Uh, let's take a look at the results thus far. And it looks like 58%. Jesse, I know you got some emails that we're going to get to in a second, but Ben Steltler is our winner via the vote. For those who don't know the story, five-year-old Ben currently battling brain cancer was welcomed by the Oilers as the skater of the game. Now, Ben got to meet his favorite player, Connor McDavid, during the pregame skate. Oilers fans gave him a standing ovation during the intros, then after the game, high fives, and even joined friend of the show, Zach Hyman, for the postgame press conference. Ben, who's your favorite Oiler? McDavid and Joyce That's a pretty good bet, even though Hyman's <laughs> sitting right beside you. No offense taken. Those- no offense taken. That's a tough one to beat, hey, Zach? Yeah. How do you think Zach Hyman played today? Good. I think he plays really good. Thanks, Ben. Shining your name out there. Hmm. Did you see the right? See all the fans on the other side? All the fans. Oh, look at that. We're all cheering for you. That's so amazing. By the way, huge assist to the Oilers fans chanting, Ben, Ben. Ben, what were the tweets saying, though, Jesse? So Kieran writes in and says, co-winners, blind student and Ben both deserve to win. Hashtag make it happen. Andy writes in and says, co-winners, come on, guys, don't make us choose between two dreams coming true. And Steve says, I'm not crying, you're crying. Hashtag making us choose one is just wrong. (laughs) All right, we won't make it. Jules Hoogland is the high school student who is blind and the crowd at the and an amazing crowd at this Michigan high school game goes silent so that Jules can hear the gym teacher tapping against the back of the backboard to locate where the rim is as she takes a free throw. Crowds in both make it. It's awesome. Top that with Lasko. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Good luck, my friend. Yeah, right. Good uh, luck, my uh, friend. As we uh, showed you earlier, yeah. new Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson was introduced in Cleveland today. Last week, Watson agreed to waive his no-trade clause to go to the Browns, and many believe the fully guaranteed $230 million contract they gave him was a big reason why. But he said today that wasn't the case. Um, actually, it had nothing to do with the contract. I didn't know about the contract until I told my agent that I wanted to come and be a Cleveland Brown. That was secondary. That was after the fact that we spoke on the phone with A.B. and Kevin and, and the Haslam family. So that had nothing to do with me choosing the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Are you buying that, Tim? <laughs> huh? I don't understand that. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> 
don't even know what that. I, I, I don't know. So how he that's said, possible. he said he didn't know that he had a two hundred and thirty million dollar guaranteed contract that also included one million dollars in the first year, so that if he missed games because of a suspension, he wouldn't lose any of that two hundred and twenty nine million that would be remaining on the contract that is all fully guaranteed. He knew none of the and and he actually didn't want to go according to reports to Cleveland initially and was headed to Atlanta but then all of a sudden reversed course and went to Cleveland but he didn't know it was going to be 230 guaranteed it's a very good way of talking through it that was very good okay because uh, way to it makes absolutely the, positively no sense. Way to establish the trust that everyone is looking for exactly. in Deshaun Watson. Exactly. All right, we go to March Madness, and a pair of number one seeds lost last night. Arkansas beat Gonzaga, and Houston beat Arizona. Benedict Matherin out of the tournament, leaving Kansas as the lone remaining number one seed in the tournament. Four more games tonight, including the Kansas Jayhawks taking on Providence, and St. Peter's looks to keep their Cinderella run going against Purdue, the 15 seed. Do you expect to see more upsets tonight? I mean, I, I St. Peter's can't be. They're, Purdue, I saw a right? video of their tracks, them running or walking into the stadium with their track suits. Yeah. And they don't even have their logo on their the track, track suits. I just, you know, <laughs> to mean, be honest with you, I want to see more of Doug Edert's uh, mustache. So do I. Uh, but I also want to see Zach Eady move on. So I am confused. I am perplexed. I know there will be a lot of people cheering for St. Mary's. And I will say this. Purdue's offense is wonderful. Their yeah. defense leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. I don't know if a 15 seed can move on, but you never know. I think Purdue was number one at one point uh, of the season. So a yeah, poor task for St. Peter's. Yeah, they were. The women's Sweet 16 gets underway tonight. Unlike the men's tournament, all four number one seeds, South Carolina, Stanford, Louisville, and NC State remain in the field, and three of them have Canadians on the roster. Which number one seed do you think is most likely to not <laughs> make it through? Don't next do week? this to me. You know how I'm going to answer this question. I am the three Canadians that are on the number one seeds. I am putting through, <laughs> which leaves one on the outside Homer. looking in, and that is. And uh, no, I support our folks here in Canada. NC State does not have a Canadian on the squad. They're also in Yukon's region, which means not only is Yukon a perennial powerhouse who just goes to Final Four after Final Four after Final Four, they also have a Canadian on the squad in Aaliyah Edwards, who's from Kingston, Ontario, but went to high school at Crestwood just down the road from your boy Uncle Timmy. So I believe that NC State will be the one that goes down. Why? They don't have a Canadian. Love it. Uh, opening day in Major League Baseball is less than two weeks away, and today was opening day in the Japanese Baseball League. Legendary Japanese player and former Major Leaguer Tsuyoshi Shinjo made his debut as the manager of the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters, and he made quite an entrance. Manager. <laughs> And it says big boss in his chest. That's the manager. Oh my god. He had a smile on his face. 
his face. So good. Why all the armbands and the batting gloves if he is the manager? I love how the team's laughing. I mean, this is entertainment. So the question is, should the Blue Jays introduce Charlie Montoya like that two weeks from today? I mean, they do have the Jays lettering on that jersey, right? Yeah, and the jerseys are very similar. There's no chance Charlie Montoya would ever do that. Why not? Why does he have the batting gloves and the wristbands? And the Maybe he's going to suit up. Manager player. Uh, I'd rather have my manager playing the bongos than being illuminated with a yeah. big boss. Or wearing shirts. What was the shirt he wore? It's it's fine. Everything's fine. It's all fine. Charlie yeah. Montoya. I had yeah. the t-shirt here. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. All right, that does it for us. But as we leave you for the weekend, let's take one last back look at our week here on Twitter. As we always do, mm-hmm. this is now becoming a Friday tradition as well. Thank you for watching. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Until then, it's Friday then. Saturday, Saturday. Friday, it's Friday, Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Jesse Rubinoff playing the drums. And I will be your soloist for now. I'm a good, like, hey, you kids! Keep it down back there. Like, I'm good at that. You're blessed, though. Like, I would take that. I have a weak voice. I don't know if you've got a weak voice. I have a, an average voice. But you could do that if you really wanted Absolutely to. Absolutely positively not. Just, into I can't it. summon it like hey, that. Jesse, you can do it's it. Not- Put your back into it. Yeah, I mean, you're wrong, but okay. <laughs> Honestly, I can't get past the plane story. I'm rattled by that. Are you just a generally rattled type fella? Yeah, things yeah, rattle you? Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I get rattled, for sure. Just search us up on Facebook and Meta. You know what we're calling it? Meta? Well, well, Meta is Facebook now. They changed their name. No one calls it Facebook anymore? They call it Meta? No, no, no. They call it Facebook. Drop the the. Just Facebook. Meta. Cool. Exactly. All right. A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. Kevin BX will watch you step here because it's kind of hidden there. Yeah, I still got it. Still got, got, still got it. I've been chirped so much about this shirt today. Zach Cassian's throwing digs at me, so I'm like, I'm going no coat. I know it looks like it's from Eastside Mario's, but it's not. Bada boom, bada bing. Bada boom, bada bing. Dale wrote in and said, um, is that Wayne or Kevin BX at? Great chirp, Dale. Yeah. Beat it. Beat it. In the downpour is our good friend Arash Madani. Oh, it's Sam. I can hear the downpour. The storm clouds are just over Costa Rica's national soccer stadium. That just kind of spreads around that locker room. Look out. Look out, Arash. Guess he's in the rush. Big game, Dave Maddie. Big game. Big game. You can feel right there. Look at this. It's all ready. <laughs> People are going to, it's going to be awesome. I got Earl Watson over here. He's ready. He's ready to go. Play tomorrow against North Carolina. I'm taking the Tar Heels. Lock it right now. We got to go. That was too good. What was he talking about? Earl Watson, I UCLA? Have, I have no idea. Yeah, I think so. So Devo Brown and, and, and I start to kind of flush this out a bit more. It's always confused me. Is it flush it out or flush, flush it out? It out? Flesh it out, isn't it? Flush it means get it through. Flesh it out would be, I don't know, eat your own skin to figure out how to fit. It's actually flush it out. Okay, it's flush it out. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs>